Helen Rutter is an actress, comedian and writer. Listeners to In the Reading Corner will be interested to know that her acting credits include playing Ruby in the theatre adaptation of Jacqueline Wilson's double act. She's written and performed her own work, including a play, Funny in Real Life, with her husband Rob Rouse, which premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. They also produced the Date Night podcast. Helen's debut children's book, The Boy Who Made Everyone Laugh, is inspired by her son Lenny, who, like the protagonist, also has a stammer. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Helen into the reading corner to discuss the background to this very funny book. Welcome, Helen. Hi, Nikki. It's lovely to chat to you. So I've said right at the outset that this is your debut novel, but it's not your first foray into writing. Can you tell us a little bit about your writing background before we get on to the story? Yes. So I started off uh, as an actress from leaving university. I got my first job actually was in um, Jacqueline Wilson's book, Double Act. I played one of the twins on a theatre tour for a year. So that was my first ever job. So maybe I was always meant to be involved in children's literature. Who knows? But um, so from acting, I when I had my kids, it was a little bit tougher to go on tour and to do all the auditions that they needed. It didn't quite fit with family life. And so that's when I started writing more. I'd always written, I'd always written stories and diaries and plays and everything that I could, needed to get out, I'd always written. But at the point where I kind of took a step back from acting, that's when it um ramped up a little bit and I started writing plays for me I wrote one woman shows I wrote a show about motherhood that I performed a comedy show and then I wrote a drama that I did and took to Edinburgh and I loved it as soon as I started writing things more seriously I absolutely loved it and then when the idea came for the boy who made everyone laugh and I had a realization oh this is a book (laughs) I've got to write a book and I'd never really even imagined writing a book before so it was all really new and really exciting really interesting to hear that because although it's a debut it does feel very accomplished um, in the writing I think anyway let's turn to the boy who made everyone laugh now I know that this connects quite a lot with personal experience. So maybe we should start there. Yes, it was. It The inspiration comes from uh, my son, Lenny. He's nearly 13 now. But when I had this idea a few years ago, he was a bit younger and he stammers and he's had periods in his life that have been a real struggle um, with his stammer. As you can imagine, in school, there have been points that he found it incredibly difficult. Um, and we've been to speech therapy And we've gone through quite a lot with it. And I think as he got slightly older and started to learn how to manage it, we had a little bit more perspective. So that's when I had this idea. He'd been playing table tennis with this little boy who was deaf. And I started to think, how does somebody who's trying to lip read, lip read somebody who is stammering. And how that, how is that relationship and that friendship just lodged in my head? And I was like, that is such a gorgeous friendship. And then the idea grew from there. And I realised that this was a story that I really, really wanted to tell. Did you feel that you had to uh, consult with your son to see that he was happy with you writing this story? Yes. So I tried to write a chapter a day. 
And at the end of each day, he would come home from school and I would read it aloud to him. And he would uh, let me know, absolutely let me know when I had hit the nail on the head and when things didn't quite read for him. Usually the things that he would be like, no, were things that basically was me just showing my age. Uh, So in the way that kids speak rather than in the stammering. But there were, I think he really got quite a lot out of it, actually, of hearing how much I'd tried to understand his point of view and how he had felt. It made him feel heard and feel understood and like his like his story was important, important enough for me to be writing about every day. I have to say, it's an incredibly funny book. I genuinely did laugh. I laughed at the jokes. I laughed at the situations. And I think that's one of the joys about it. It's not it's not a solemn exploration of this and the humour feels very genuine. I guess one of the difficult things is getting that balance between laughing with and not laughing at. Were there times when you had to, you know, reassess and, and, and think that you'd got that tone right? Yeah, definitely. I mean... For me, in everything I've ever written, um, that balance between humour and not not pain so much, but yeah, the tougher the tougher side of human existence. That's I'm really always going to try and strike that balance because I think that you only have one with the with the other, and that that's what real life is all about. It's about you know finding the joy in a painful situation and. So, yeah, so I really wanted to strike that. And that was my main goal. And I think that the times when I did have to readjust certain things, one bit I I really remember was at the end and he, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a point where he talks about himself in front of people on stage and it's a big moment. And um, I had to change that quite a lot because in comedy, a lot of times people talk about themselves and they put themselves down so that the audience can laugh at them, essentially. And because they're on stage and they are in control, it may feel like that they are empowered and that, you know, they're laughing with them. But in this instance, there was a bit of that scene where it it didn't quite feel right. And I needed to change it so that he wasn't just making jokes about himself that people were allowed to laugh at, that he flipped it and then he was making jokes about the world around him and about other things, external things that weren't just him. So he was allowed to talk about his stammer and he was allowed to talk about himself in a light way and allow people to feel comfortable with him and with that. But then he had to go beyond and he had to make people laugh about other things in his world and I thought that was really really important and so that scene changed quite a lot when I had that in my mind. That is such an interesting point so even as somebody that's um, very aware of being on your guard and that really came across because he he jokes at his mother's expense a little bit as well doesn't he? Yeah and the teachers I think get he gets so because he involves other people it doesn't feel too much like He's he's allowing people to pick on him in a controlled fashion. I didn't want it to seem like all, all of a sudden it's okay to laugh at him just because he said it is. I wanted it to feel like it's he he could make you laugh in all manner of different ways, and it doesn't have to be just about his stammer. 
Yeah. Well, let's get get into the story a little bit further. I mean, one of the things that I really liked was he's a great lister, isn't he? He's got a list of everything. (laughs) And there's one part where uh, very early on where he describes the different kind of adults. There's the encourager, there's the joker, there's the waiter. What's the one that I've missed out? It's not the interrupter, but it's the one that he tries to finish his sentences. Reads the mind, that one, isn't it? Mind reader, yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah. us about those. And as I was reading, I'm thinking, I'd like to be the waiter, but do you know, I really think I'm probably somewhere between an encourager and a waiter. Maybe I have to try a bit harder. Yeah, I'd say that that was definitely me. When Lenny Stammer became clear that it wasn't just because I think lots of little kids stammer a lot and then as soon as it carries on a bit later when we realized that it was actually a stammer I think I was the same I was an encourager because you want to help you want to do something and it was only it was I chatted to a speech therapist who said yeah no try not to encourage actually and one of Lenny's favorite lines in the book is um Telling someone to relax when they are clearly struggling is like shouting run faster at someone being chased by a tiger. They would if they could. That was one of his favourite bits. And it really kind of shows that you're doing it more for yourself. If you're telling somebody that it's okay, relax, take your time, take a breath in. Actually, they're trying to do all of those things. So I think um, I try my hardest to be a waiter, but still to this day, you know, after years and years, there is still times where I don't, we're human, aren't we? And everybody is just reacting. They're dealing with their own stuff while trying to deal with other people's and you, you forget. And, And I think it's good to have something to aim for. There's quite a lot about speech therapy in the book. Billy has a, a monthly visit to a very friendly and kindly speech therapist. Some of the things don't always seem to be that helpful. Um, One thing that made me cringe that uh, just reminds me of my hate when we do things with children is to over baby them. There was this thing of the soft cuddly toys. Is this a real thing? (laughs) Yeah, that was based on a real thing. Um, (laughs) Me and Lenny were both hopeful that the, uh, softies would be put to one side as he got older because they felt they did feel a little bit young and you know speech therapy was great and they give you lots and lots of things to try but I think that the realization that nobody was going to be able to take this away nobody was going to be able to fix this is quite a big realization I think uh, for a kid who who thinks that things can be fixed generally and so I think it was it was a little bit tough um, at first and I think the same thing happens um, to Billy he talks about he had one session of speech therapy and then his stammer vanished for a few weeks and then it came back again and so that's the thing it's so you just can't put your finger on it it's a very hard thing to understand um, but going to speech therapy I think it's about setting aside a time and a commitment to acknowledging it and to putting in some just putting in some practice and putting in some work Mm. to try and find ways that help you around it and I'm sure that lots of it didn't work but then lots of other things did make their way into his head and he uses them now. So the story starts just as Billy is about to start secondary school and he's chosen to go to a different secondary school to most of his primary school friends because he hopes it will give him a fresh start 
There's a teacher uh, there called Mr. Osho, who I loved him so much because you've created this very positive teacher who just really seems to do the right thing. Tell us a little bit about him and, and how he helps Billy. He's great, isn't he? He He's kind of the teacher that you just, you really hope your children have um, a Mr. Osho in their life because he sees, I think, through their mutual love of music. So Billy's a drummer uh, and Mr. Osho it has an absolute love for music, particularly jazz music. And so they connect over that. And I think he has a gentleness about him that he is a natural waiter, actually. Um, and he offers Billy some roots. So he offers him the root of, uh, he gives him a notebook and asks him to write anything down in there that he feels that he would like Mr. Rosho to know. And he, Mr. Rosho says, is there anything that I can do? And if there is anything at all, then then I'll do it. And so when when Billy does ask him to make changes and he does them, there's a safety and a trust, I think, between them that starts to grow. And I think that I think that Mr. Osho had a bit of a tough time when he was a little boy at school as well. And so I think he sees a bit of himself in Billy and he just wants to keep that spark in Billy. He wants Billy to keep hoping and to keep kind of having enough confidence, no matter what else is going on, on around him, to just he doesn't want him to let go of his humour and his his himself. He wants him to keep hold of that little bit that just makes him him mm. Billy. Mm. He's also a noticer and he notices more than he's actually told um, and, and lets Billy know that as well. Um, anyway, we could come to that in a moment because I, I want to talk a little bit about William Blakemore, the other uh, child who's quite important in this story, who could have been a really awful villain uh, but again there's a very sensitive way in which you handle him tell us a little bit about that that boy yeah so it started off he was a villain actually at first for a lot for a lot of the drafts he he kind of remained a villain throughout and then through editing and and reworking it we needed more of a journey for him and he is he is the bully you know and he's really cruel and he doesn't hold back in it's not a tame bully it's not a bully that you know just says the occasional mean thing he's he's really quite full on and and it's the kind of person who could really ruin your experience of secondary school and again Mr Osho notices that things aren't quite right there and he forces them both to basically spend time with each other and see each other and William Blakemore struggles is really finds it incredibly challenging doesn't can't understand um most of the subjects that he's being asked to do and that along with his home life means that he is you know lashing out in other ways so that when when they're placed together and they have to work with each other sl- very slowly they start to make little moments and little connections and it grows to what you can imagine may become an understanding and possibly even a friendship um by the end so yeah there is a journey there i i i wanted to move it on from being a one note character to having a little bit more of his own story Mm. so one of the 
things that the children have to do quite early in their secondary school career is to give a talk about themselves and quite understandably it's something that Billy is dreading he comes up with all kinds of excuses or or potential excuses of as to how he's going to get out of this but ultimately he has to take part uh, in the activity and you're going to read us a little bit from the story aren't you yes so this is what Billy calls the me me speech um because it Mr Osho has asked them all to um bring something in that will tell Mr. Osho what makes them them. So Billy calls it the Mimi speech. And yeah, as you say, he absolutely does not want this to happen. Um, but when everything, all his options have run out and he, and he can't find another way out of it, he ends up coming up with a plan. And this is the moment when that plan comes to fruition. Yasmin Ori is up before me. She's brought in a photo of her family and is talking about how important her friends are, how they are like her family too. Then she makes a heart shape with her hands at the end. The girls all whoop and clap. I'm sitting with my cardboard between my knees, still trembling with fear. I wish my name wasn't Plimpton. It means I'm always near the end of the register, so I have longer to worry. Mr. Osho waits for Yasmin to sit down and then says, next up is Billy. He gives me a little wink and starts a round of applause. I stand up and slowly go to the front. I avoid looking at William Blakemore. No plan, however good, will stop him from making me nervous. Instead, I focus on Mr. Osho and Skylar because they're smiling at me. I take out my favourite joke book. 999 jokes for kids and hold it up for the class to see. Then I raise my first sign. In big chunky letters, it reads, My name is Billy Plimpton and I have a stammer. I see my hand shaking like it doesn't belong to me. I put down the card and pick up number two and then number three. I brought in a joke book. I love jokes. The room is so quiet. Five more signs to go. Unfortunately, I can't tell you one today. It's hard to tell a joke when you can't get to the end of a sentence. I hear a couple of the girls say, aw, and bless him. The end. I bow and then hold up the last two signs. Now you clap and cheer. They're doing it. They're actually clapping. And somebody whistles. I look at Mr. Osho. I'm worried that he'll think I've cheated, that my signs are only showing and not telling, that he'll ring my mum and tell her that I didn't speak. But he has a huge smile on his face, and I know it's okay. I hold up my final sign, and I become the coolest kid in school. Everyone laughs hard at the last sign, and I take another bow and go back to my seat. Alex holds his hand up for a high five, and then Josh and Matthew do the same. My head's fizzing and my ears are getting hot. It feels good, though. People really laughed. I'm almost relieved. I don't have to hide my stammer anymore. I love it because it's a really positive moment, but it's reasonably early on in the book. It's not the end of his journey, but it shows that there are positive moments uh, along the way as well, which I think is really important. There's another character that I'd like to ask you about, and that's Granny Bread. 
what is it do you think that makes grandparents such a comfort and um and really good confidants in children's literature I think it's because they are in real life isn't it I I mean granny bread is so we've got a granny bean so uh, granny bread is is a very much taken from our granny bean um I think there's something about having somebody that is connected to you so they're family and they're close and they're older but they they aren't strict they are they don't have the same need to control um as your parents do they're not as distracted maybe and busy often and I just think that there's a yeah there's a real comfort and there's a real sense of safety in somebody that's that much older and that is still really connected to you Mm. she's a lovely character and like you say it certainly bears out my experience of what grandparents are like in life too um Helen I'm wishing you all the best with uh, the boy who made everyone laugh um I'm wondering if you're working on a second story now and is it one that draws on family experience if you are Yes, I am. I'm trying to, although homeschooling is proving difficult to get on with writing, but I really am trying. So I've got a um, a very rough first draft of my next book, which I'm working on. And I mean, every, anything I ever write will draw on my life. You know, I, d- I don't, I'm not the kind of person that that can completely remove myself and and create things from nothing so yeah it is it's based a lot of it is based on my childhood actually and this one is it's again it's a little boy and he's going through a tough time uh and his wishes start coming true and he's not sure whether they really are coming true or whether it's a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And and so the book follows him trying to find out if these wishes are real or if somehow he's making them happen. Ooh, something else for us to look forward to. But actually, before uh, we do that, The Boy Who Made Everyone Laugh is due out in February 2021. So uh, just a few weeks to wait and everybody will be able to read this for themselves. Thank you so much for joining us in the Reading Corner today, Helen. Oh, thank you so much for having me. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.